Are you tired of scrounging YouTube and trying to find jujitsu technique videos only to be let down by stuff that doesn't work or different camera shots that you don't totally understand? Well, I have a great resource for you. TFSJujitsu.com is an online archive that has tons of different techniques from gi and no gi, from everything from submissions to defenses to takedowns. It was all put together by Jiu-Jitsu black belt Ben Tallini. His one focus in mind was to put together a large database with stuff that actually works and with good, solid content. The videos feature many different instructors from the Syracuse area, and he puts a lot of thought and consideration into putting the website together. So if you want an online resource full of great videos and great technique, of stuff that actually works, tfsjujitsu.com is your place to go. That's tfsjujitsu.com. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to another episode of the Corycast. This one, episode number 24, with my friend Mike Musatelli. When I first started training martial arts, I always looked up to Mike in a sense. I still do to this day because his grappling. His striking is is phenomenal, but when I was really getting into martial arts for the first time, I was watching his career evolve as an MMA fighter from when he was doing his last amateur fight to dipping his toe into professional fights, and then when he got on the big stage of Bellator. I've always admired Mike because he's very real, and he wears his heart on his sleeve. This conversation was a beautiful thing because you really got to see all the amazing qualities of Mike that I've grown to really love about Mike. There's no sugarcoating it with Mike, and that's what I always appreciated about him. He's a very talented dude, and this conversation is very, very raw, very real. The MMA career has ups and downs, and Mike has lived through them all. It's a very unique perspective because we always hear stories about people who are struggling to find out what they want to do in life and what their purpose is with life and that they don't know. Moose is a little bit different. He he knows what he wants to do. Being a professional MMA fighter was his one true love, something that he still loves to this day and still would do to this day, even at the age of 37, Mike. But I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I hope you get to see why I love that dude so fucking much. So enjoy this episode. Mike Musatelli, doing an episode of the podcast. I feel like this is long overdue, right? I would. I, I. I'm not gonna lie. Little hurt. Little hurt inside. Deep. Deep inside. But you know, we can let time heal all wounds. I mean, no. I was. I saw you making it. And I was like, awesome, dude. You know, it's. It's not like I ever had a podcast before or anything. Did you have a podcast? Yeah. Do you remember back back when I was uh, still in Bellator? Me and Big Smoothie on the radio. It was like pre that's, big podcast time. That was the thing. Right. We were ahead of the curve. Yeah, that's right. That was back when. Uh, yeah, Big Smoothie. I think. I think he was still. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, he was at ninety five. I don't know where he is now. I think he's on K Rock. I don't know. Do you still talk to him? 
Probably not that. Yeah, yeah, on occasion. He's a, he's a nice dude. He's a power lifter and you know, just shoot the shit sometimes. What made you? Oh yeah, stop I guess that's a good. Uh, it was it was he was in between jobs and projects and he was putting a lot of time into his powerlifting stuff and I was training a lot and you know it just was a thing. It wasn't his uh, primary passion, I guess. And he had a lot of projects and frankly, he had the uh, recording studio. So uh, he had a legit setup in his house. Or yeah, well, we, it wasn't to his house. Yeah, we went to we went to the actual radio station and did it there. Uh, you know, full full professional now. That's cool. I the professional studio looks. It seems like a very complex setup. Yeah, yeah. It, it had the whole. You know, it, it was hooked onto a PC that was designed only for recording the whole the whole nine. Um, That's like had the, big. You know, the radio station. Like yeah, it was it was deal. rad. It was rad. That was that was that was during the glory days, man. That was awesome. I, we used to. I used to go on a just even on the air live with him a bunch. Um, we like used on to do. 95X? Yeah, yeah. We did. We did a bunch. We actually did one from World of Beer in the mall when they were just opening, and they uh, they they were showing off their new specialty beer infuser, which is like this fancy device that would infuse the flavor of something you chose. And Mandy like Segru made victory cookies and we crunched them up and they got infused into beer shut up yeah what? yeah like anything yeah what i'm it, trying to picture what an infuser would look like in my it, head. you have to look it up it's expensive and it, it's like the beer flows through it and there's pressure or something i don't know All I'm i didn't ask is a willy wonka, it, it was awesome like a willy wonka or dr seuss thing where it's like there's tubes and shit everywhere i would like to you know i'm gonna, I, that's how i'm gonna rewrite my memory of it <laughs> that it was and, and big smoothie actually sang a song oompa loompa he's kind of a big dude so he's bassier than the usual ones but that's hilarious that was uh back when you were uh fighting for bellator huh i was indeed yes yes when was Good that time. what year was that i'm trying oh, I, I mean i think like five six years ago five six seven i i, I was there for a couple years so i don't what I don't was that like either. when you made it from i mean you fought professional before yeah, well, so what was that like making that jump? It was the whole story of how I ended up in Bellator was kind of wild in and of itself. So, um, I guess we'll take a trip down memory lane. We got time to kill, right? That's right. Um, I'm strapped in, son. Back back in the day, man. Me, me, Chris Roach, Jamie, who who you said you thought you had on uh, before. Um, I did check that one out. Uh, was we were the Road Warriors back in the day, man? Like. So before I even trained at Tai Kai, I had a couple – I didn't know illegal at the time MMA fights. And then <laughs> we kind of – basically, since MMA was illegal in New York at that time – and it's so weird to say that because, like, people that watch the UFC nowadays are like, what do you mean it was illegal here? Like, I just yeah. – like, it's, it's on ESPN now. Mm-hmm. But back when we did it, when we when we were doing it, you couldn't do it in New York. Yeah, like, anytime we watched you fight, I remember Eric – Mike and I, we would just take a trip, a road trip, like to Connecticut. Yeah, or I remember the Connecticut one. We had a, we have a great picture of that one. After mm-hmm. uh, that was Maine, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That with Frost and Gillingham. I have some weird stories about that. We'll have to round back to. But mm-hmm. um, we were just the road warriors. We were basically always sent to places on short notice um, because a, a member of the gym who, well, at the time, was a member of the gym at the time. He has since. Kinda, we we don't really like him. We've run into problems with him. But it is what it is. Uh, I I don't, you know, I don't I don't go out of my way to besmirch others' names. They had their falling out. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But they he, they 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 would get us set up with these fights. And I think the reason they did it is they would get a cut from the promoter, maybe, mm-hmm. um, because basically all the fights we were sent out to, we were to be the sacrificial lamb. We were supposed to be these stepping stones 
for all these guys locally that were on a tear, 4 and 0, 5 and 0, 6 and 0. I remember. And that. we would just go and kick their ass. And we did that enough that people stopped wanting to fight us. So I actually turned pro after going 4 and 0 as an amateur. Um which and, that's a pretty big deal. Like that is uh like now if you went 4 and 0 as an amateur, yeah, you have to yeah. have something special about you. You know what I mean? Well, it thank you. It it was it was again it was wild back then too because like Guys, the the pro, like the proliferation of MMA, like there's shows everywhere. All the, or, or prior to lockdown, obviously, um, there were shows. You know, you go to Pennsylvania alone. There's five, six. You can go across the state and find multiple shows every night, pretty much yeah. every weekend. Um, you know, it wasn't quite like it then. Uh, so when someone went pro, it was like, ooh, <laughs> you know, it was like a big jump, especially from New York, where it was illegal and there weren't many fighters and et cetera. So, Which was illegal for the most like bogus reason too. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it had to do with Sheldon Silver being a um, scum sucker, uh, son of a bitch. Who he went to jail for corruption. So good. Uh, I hope he dies an AIDS-related death. It's very, uh, very ironic, huh? Well, I, I vehemently hate it. Like I don't hold a lot of hate. He's a person I hate. Like because he sing- he he screwed a lot of my life up. Like in, through his corruption decision. Yeah, it's kind of um, ironic how that very disgusting dude got arrested for corruption. Well, it's, it, I think it's just a matter of time till everyone caught on to his bullshit. He should have been arrested for corruption twenty years before he did. He's yeah, fuck him. But, but anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. We ended up taking this uh, pro fight. I, I was a big underdog. Steve Skrzet, this monstrous wrecking machine of a dude, um, just just jacked to his gills. Um, I beat I him in the first guy. round via TKO. Um, and then no one would fight me. So I went like a year and a half without being able to get a fight. And I went out at random. Jamie reached out to me and was like, there's Bellator trials. I'm like, Bellator, oh, cool. I was working at a call center at the time. And I remember turning on uh, Deportes, uh, ESPN Deportes, you know, this is Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) And it was on that. Yeah, yeah. They used to run it on that. Um, And then like MTV2. And yeah. so I would catch it, you know, whenever I got a chance to steal the TV at work and put it on. I don't on think the many map. people realize that Bellator used to do like tryouts. Like it would be. Yeah. Well, it was open tryouts. Out. Yeah. It was weird. They, they didn't do a ton of them, but Jamie asked and I was like, yeah. And it's weird as every once in a while. Um, I generally stay off of Facebook nowadays. It's not a pleasant place. So I, I try to avoid it. It's not good for your mental health. That's proven. More and more people are doing that. Yeah. And that's a good thing. That's, that's a good cold thing. Turkey. Yeah, and also a good thing because he's someone that's a very passionate man, mm. um, and and that's just it was it's unhealthy because he has the same kind of problems that I do with it where it will obsess a mind space that that's just not worth it and it's not worth donating that amount of your brain and energy giving free rent to somebody in your head. Yeah, yeah, because um, again, side topic, like we. Uh, which fits well with my ADD. I'm always going to go off on these branches if you let me. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> Rain me in whenever you need to. Dude, there is no, <laughs> listen, there's no agenda. You can travel off wherever. Like, I, I don't, uh, I, you interact with a person in person and they're generally fine. And that was the thing is, is it used to be taboo to talk about, um, politics or religion at like family, you know, big gatherings. Yeah. Um, but behind the keyboard, everybody has all the strength in the world to just say what they want. You know, yeah, you and, just have a curtain up. You know, well, no person. And it's yeah. Well, there and the, there's that buffer between like someone being able to read your emotions. Like 
when you say something hurtful to a person in real life, I don't care how much of a dick you are or how much of a tough person you are. You, there's a humanity. If you have a shred of humanity, which most people do, um, you know, there is psychopaths. So they exist. Mm-hmm. And you say something hurtful and you see it in their emotions. You see someone's face change. You can see that you've done damage with it. And it hurts you. Yeah, there's a reaction. Yeah. And, and, and putting that digital wall up, you don't see it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. And, and it just removes the humanity from the whole equation, and it's not good. Yeah, it's not, a good not thing. healthy. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't balance you out. So, so. With the Bellator tryouts, what what was it like? Like, how was it set up? It was really weird. Like, uh, I so I remember in Fight Club, just everybody yeah, well, fight in a circle. You're not far off. So um, it was super weird. Like. It was it was a bunch of people, like probably 120 guys oh or so. Um, and I see them Facebook memory pop up every now and again. And I just look at it and go, I can't. <laughs> I have a large series of steps in my life where every time I see it, I go, wow, that's a thing that I can't believe happened. Because uh, <laughs> the post was like, can I borrow some money so me and Jamie can go take a road trip? Like, it's that kind of a story. Like, And we did. My sister put up some cash so I could get a hotel room. And me and Jamie, I was asking for gas money. So we could drive down, and we and we did. We borrowed gas money, and my sister put up a hotel room, and we drove down, and he crashed there, and you show up. So we just drive to this gym. There's no corners. There's no Dennis. There's no Chris. There's nobody. Just me and Jamie. And we just show up at a gym. We're like, is this the right place? There's a lot of angry-looking people, so this is probably the right place. 120 <laughs> shirtless dudes in Valley Tudo shorts. There was a lot. Yeah, it was, and it was like it was like getting to kind of peak. Uh, extreme couture fashion so you know there was a lot of barbed wire stickers on cars it was that yeah. kind of thing. a lot of i i feel like that was uh when tap out was still at its peak just starting to come down right yeah no it was still on the way up still it was before like, it was well before ufc 100 which mm-hmm. is I, I think that's peak tap out right there yeah, right before tap point. out became part of uh walmart once they could <laughs> sell walmart then you know things started to water down a bit like yeah, right. um but yeah so we show up and uh, they just tell you right out the gates, uh, like, all right, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to get, uh, like, two minutes to show hitting mitts. Like, we're going to grab a group of a couple guys, and you're going to hit mitts, and we're going to walk around and analyze your striking what? style hitting mitts. Yeah. Who's yeah. analyzing it? Just some Joe Schmo off the street? No, no, no. A bunch of the, the guys that were uh, big in Bellator, like the, the matchmakers and um, – people like that and bjorn was there and he came out and gave a big speech and you know all this so the first year we went me and jamie were super fucking pissed because we went twice so you go we did the striking display and then they weed it out they're like okay you clearly have never stepped in a cage you leave you're out go away yeah because um, probably a lot of people lying to just yeah yeah well and then after they weed that out then everyone lines up and it's just they pair up everyone at random, not knowing anyone's credentials, really. You know, you, you fill out a form, but it's a guess. Like, I'm a black belt. Like, no, you're not. And yeah, you're just and writing they, stuff down. And they just pair you up with a random guy, and you have a jiu-jitsu match. Just live grappling match. Just go. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's wild, right? Yeah. Um, was it like tournament style? Was it like, oh, Moose defeated this guy. He moves up to this next bracket. No, it's just you had winners and losers, and that was it. And then out of the winners, <laughs> they would choose who to go. So, but the first year we went, there was a big deal because Kyle Simonaro, who is this uh, Olympic wrestler and this big, big bad name dude, uh, very famous in the area, he went down and they were like, oh, Kyle Simonaro's here. 
And they basically, like, you could tell from the way they were talking, they had picked him already. Like, mm. and everyone was kind of pissed about it. But right. uh, me and Jamie both did well. We both won our grappling matches. Um, but they were like, all right, we're only picking this many people. We picked Kyle Sunara, who never went on to fight. So good choice there, guys. What? Um, what kind of logic yeah. is that? No, it's kind of both. Well, it was just he was riding off a name uh, and yeah. whatever. He's, he's he's a superb wrestler and a very giant dude. And he does a he actually I, I think still occasionally will work down with uh, Rick and Phil down in Philly. So you know, God bless. Mm-hmm. It's it, the fight game isn't for everyone. And this is a weird thing um, that I had to learn. Like not just the fight game, but like uh, I, I, this is a side thing, but it is kind of a big thing for me. Like I had. This, this conversation, it was just like a side conversation with someone and it'll like forever stick in my mind. It, it, it's kind of wild um, how some random shit will just etch itself into your, your psychology. Was you it know? like a family member? Yeah, what was the conversation? No, it was, I, I don't even remember who it was with, but we were at a UFC pay-per-view show. We we're just watching it, you know, just at like Chris Roach's house or something. Um, and we're hanging out watching the fights and they're like, yeah, you don't really follow this a ton, do you? I'm like, I don't. I get too worked up because I see it and I want to be in there and I want to do it. You know, I get so jealous of the guys in there. I want to be the one with the bright lights down on me and the wild crowd going, don't you, know, don't you ever get that? And he looked at me dead in the face and goes, no. <laughs> like, what, were you like scared of fighting? I like, cause I had the same problem with watching football. I couldn't watch the NFL after I played college ball because I was like, God, I want to be doing that. I don't want to be yeah. watching that. I want... And they're like, no, I have no desire to do that. That seems so stressful to have everybody watching you. Like, yeah, I, I was like, but it's weird. It's like, I remember I went through this whole like, like the meme with the tri- the lady and looking at the math and the diagrams and the cat and the, the galaxy behind him all at the same time. Like <laughs> those two memes combined were what yeah. my head did. Because I literally thought back to like when I was like young, um, when I was really young, like growing up. I used to play the Greatest Generation of RPGs, which is the Super Nintendo, as you know. Greatest RPGs greatest ever. Greatest generation, dude. Of RPGs. I don't know listen, about Chrono that. Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, uh, Earthbound. Come on now. I'm not a Final Fantasy person. I'll admit I'm, it. I'm not either. I'm I am not, not get into Final Fantasy. Six and seven, yeah, but which is technically three for the year, but there's a whole thing. Um, moving along. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember playing these games, like, even when I was, like, 10, 12, whatever it was. And I would get jealous of the protagonist because they got to go on this crazy adventure and they got to power up and level up and unlock new abilities and become badasses. And there's a, people that just don't want that. And I didn't know that until I was like 29. Like that just didn't mm-hmm. register to me. I just right. figured everyone was always cunning to be a crazy limelight. You know, I want to be the, the one in the, the, the crazy stars. That's interesting. So that was like a Nothing. moment where you were like, oh shit, there's other people who don't feel like that. Yeah, well, it was it was it wasn't just that they don't want to fight; it's that they don't want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to be a star, and and that's fine. And it, it was like a really wide open like thing for me. Like some people are cool, just living life, and that I should accept that. And that, and, and I tried it, and it's wild. Um, but I was pissed because Kyle Simonar just got picked up. <laughs> right. Right. Super up. No, it's it's weird how. Uh, no, it's very true. There's just some people uh, working retail. In my life, you see that a lot. You see a lot of people who are just okay with, like, being in, con- like, cruise control their mm-hmm. whole life. And that's just not, that's not me. Like, I'm always, when, when I was working retail, I was always like, what do I got to do to be a manager? What do I got to do to be assistant? What do I got to do to this? What do I got to be a store manager? And then I, 
like you, like I had a moment where I was like, you know what? Some people just want to work full time and not have any responsibilities, and that that's okay. But that's just that's not that's not for me. Yeah, it took me a while to come to reconciliation with that because um, I, I think it I think it helped me when it came to teaching later on because you know back then I was kind of I think I was probably like a purple belt at that time, and occasionally people would ask me to show them lessons. And I would get like frustrated. I'm like, why don't you want to be better? Like, why don't you want to strive yeah. to fucking be the best possible form of yourself? Like, and, I think you and see that lesson jujitsu now. You do, you do. You see, and that you know, anytime anything becomes more publicly accepted, you see less. But that's just—I don't know if that's just because you have a larger portion of the population. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas before it was kind of a weird thing that you'd have to hunt for. Yeah. You know, and it's something you'd have to really seek out. Whereas now, Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and MMA is just, they're in mall studios. Every, you know, they pop up yeah, it's, like. It's blown everywhere. up completely in the last, like, I don't know. I would say, like, over the last, like, six, seven years. I don't know. Even when I started in 2009, like, it was not as big as it is right now. No, no. Not even close. It's weird to have watched it do that. Like, when we did it, um,. <laughs> I will. Uh, so, not to get completely off track because we were on the Bellator tryouts, but completely off track. Fuck it. No, um, no, no, no. And so, yeah, nah. There was a martial arts combine. All right. Um, combine. This sounds like a sounds like a tough mutter, but with martial arts. Kinda. Well, where it was, <laughs> it was supposed to be like a great meeting of all these martial artists, and there were a couple reputable. Well, one reputable jiu-jitsu guy and one phenomenal um sambo guy down there and uh, it, was, it was igor not von chanchen but he's the only one in my head because i was watching old ufcs earlier so um yagamov igor yagamov yeah, yeah yeah and uh which it sounds like a made-up name but it's yeah. not so, it sounds like a villain in castlevania yeah yeah it's not i know he's he was like a world sambo champion i might be massacring the name it might be something similar but I'm not going to Google things in the middle of talking to you. That's rude. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, have Jamie to pull it up. So we went down, right? Jamie, can you can you look that up? Jamie? Yeah, you don't I'm exist. Sorry. Anyway. I'm um, talking to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> He's, his his uh, computer skills are coming along. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went down there, and we found out it was just the worst of bullshit martial arts. Just the worst just there were and it was set up like there would be a big schedule put on the uh, hotel that everyone was staying at up on the wall and you'd go and you'd pick your classes and it was like weird finger locks and <laughs> arabian death touch and like and we were the but here's and we went uh, and we were just like the bad kids there like everyone else knew what to do like they would show up like 10 minutes early and they'd all line up and go like bow in and do this ornate dance and we just like showed up and we're like what uh, what the hell's going on here? We didn't bow in once with everybody. Was this like during the, like you trying out for Bellator? This was before that. This was like green belt Mike days. Yeah. Okay, so you you came from Capoeira. So yeah, I did. You coming from Capoeira to see that? Were to you see like, that oh, as this weird is with my people? No, 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 no. Because it was even weird for me, who comes from a weird martial arts background. Yeah, it was like Cap the worst kind of break board breaking things uh, like that and in capoeira being unique um i will say like people have again a misconception about it and this is not me going to bat and being like yeah it's the greatest basis for combat arts it's not 
not that. But I did watch like the during La Ginga, during during um, La Hora, at the end. Yeah, this is me trying my best Brazilian accent. We're gonna have, like I'm gonna have a Portuguese guy who's just like, they hate me. <laughs> I am Portuguese <laughs> and I'm so mad say, right you're now. Gonna, you're gonna be like, God damn it! It's the worst butchering. No, I, but I'm during the, the the sparring at the end of class, you know, I watched it when you would do it because we would travel between schools and do it, and. Um, I watched one of my guys disrespect another guy's like lead instructor. Oh. So the master came in and just fucking swept, kicked him, punched him in the nose, busted his nose open, and then everyone was like, yeah, that's what you get. Like, it, it'll get full contact. You're not supposed to, but if you want it to be, it gets real violent real quick. So it, it is, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. And it is uh, undervalued as a great form for teaching balance and things like that. But this was not that. Yeah, this it was, was really mall different. karate dojos bullshito you know like you know how you see those uh force judo you know like guys that like oh i touched your finger and now you flip over oh yeah, yeah it was all those guys that level yeah yeah i stopped um, um i don't know i i used to be on a kick where i was like any martial art that isn't xyz is bullshit like i used to be like so hard on that but now i try to look at those martial arts a little bit more of an open mind you know, well, like, there's a like capoeira, between, like you said, is great yeah. a great base for balance. It has its place. In footwork, yeah, and and it will teach you some nasty kicks if you if you pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, it's not an end all be all, and uh, like even karate, like I, front snap kicks, I use them very frequently now. That's a karate based kick. Taekwondo kicks, I use I use a lot of pendulum kicks in my stand up instead of a full traditional Thai switch kick, which is again very much Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very, very big proponent that every style has something to offer. I'm a very big proponent of that. I think Dennis was a very good instructor for that because he has like a weird ninjutsu background and a karate background. You know, there there are some foundations that if you want to do MMA, you have to have. Yeah, you yeah, have no to doubt. have boxing. You have to have Thai. You have to have wrestling, and you have to have jujitsu. You got to. Mm-hmm. There, there, and, and this stems back to what we were talking about earlier, like. It's weird, um, but I got to come through that age watching it evolve. Yeah, and that's like, a cool thing. Like, I feel like I was just because I started in two thousand nine, which is kind of like is already the rise of MMA. Mm-hmm. Like, I as it was getting more and more popular, nothing like it is now. But I think it's you know doing part because it's on ESPN now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, yeah. that's done wonders for the sport. Well, you know what I mean. Like, it, there was this thing called MMA. Like, yeah. when I was coming up, it was still like you were a sambo fighter. Which, again, my first unsanctioned bout was they called me and they're like, which is a story for another time. Um, they were like, uh, yeah, he's a sambo fighter. You'll be fighting him here, and there you go. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what Sambo is. Right. But, like, that's what you had. You had a stylistic kind of base. Um, it was back when the UFC would say, he is a jiu-jitsu fighter. He is yeah. a taekwondo fighter. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't think they really do that anymore. No. But, it's like, I feel like it's in the, the tail of the tape, like, in the very bottom. Could be yeah, a wrestler. Be. Yeah. That's easy. I, but I watched it go from that, from full-on style versus style, and then came up starting to train while it was just getting out of that to to its proliferation and everyone trying to cash in when it when it first blew up where every karate mcdojo you know what i mean and again there's a big difference between a karate school where they teach you useful shit and a mcdojo there's always going to be a difference Mm -hmm. um 
and with anything that becomes popular, there's, there's McDojo jujitsu gyms nowadays. There's a shitload of them, it's, and they weren't before. I would like to stress the fact that there is legit karate schools because, again, I used to talk mad shit. Like, listen, I was I will be the first one to admit I'd be like, karate can't do shit. And then I got spinning heel kicked, and I got a black eye from a karate guy. And I was like, well, that worked clearly. Yeah, that, that <laughs> it was an effective technique. Yeah. Good on him. <laughs> but yeah, so we watched that. And then every McDojo, which again, big room there between uh, real karate, uh, all of a sudden taught jujitsu in it and had an MMA class in it. Mm. And, and these things didn't, you know, they never had them before. Yeah. But now that it's on, you know, every, UFC 100 selling out. 1.10 million buys 1.10 isn't a decimal um, <laughs> you know also they have jujitsu now weird yeah. right well what made uh, you want to go like leave capoeira and start doing jujitsu um well i wouldn't say i wanted to start doing jujitsu which is weird to say and you know i will always admit it freely jujitsu i love it dearly with all my heart it's it's beautiful i enjoy every moment of it but my heart always belongs to MMA. I'm a fighter at heart. Mm. And I have some gripes with modern jiu-jitsu. You know, the, the footlocks are wonderful and great. But unless you are an absolute dominate beast man of elite, 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 you know, Orion Hall, you don't see people going for a lot of the, you know, mm. no one's going to butt scoot in an MMA fight. They'll get, yeah. you know, no one's going to, and you shouldn't butt scoot in a self-defense scenario. Someone will punt your teeth across the block. You know, right. don't do that. Um, so I do have my gripes with that, but my heart will always belong to MMA. You know? Which is interesting because, you know, mixed martial arts is a group of many different martial arts, obviously, but it's still young. It's still, like, in its infancy. Like, it's a growing martial art. It is. Now, it's weird. I, I can talk about MMA as if it's its own form because it really has become that. Right. Whereas before it was an allegation, again, grabbing random bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um of other martial arts, but it was, you know, whatever. Now there is a defined MMA form in and of itself. They have the outliers and it's always evolved. I love the cyclical bizarre nature of MMA. That that's what drew me into it originally. Yeah. Um, because MMA does not make sense. No, no. Like we, you know, we, we had a brief comment. The one comment that I dropped on Anderson Silva, because this is like one of the few things I was like, "Eh, I'll drop a comment there. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Anderson Silva is like um, one of your all-time greatest. Like, yeah, obviously he he's, he belongs on on the all-time greats because he would do things that didn't make sense. Like he is a game changer. John Jones is a game changer. These people come in, and through time, there's been several stages. You know, a Matt Hughes was a game changer. He was the yeah. first one that showed how American wrestling could be a dominant base for, like you had to have it now. Yeah. You know, you would dominate even a you know first you would go back. Hoist Gracie showed jujitsu was. You could take a, a smaller guy against a bigger guy, and he could dominate him by tying him up in knots in a way that people didn't know. To a point. Then put, <laughs> right. Well, to a point. But it's not fair to you. It's not fair to you because you put you against, and I will still say this, you put you against a 200-pound guy that knows fuck all, I still have to pick you, Corey. You're still going to tap yeah, him yeah, out. Yeah, no, totally. No, absolutely. But when you take somebody who's, I don't know, that whole uh... – Size doesn't matter thing in jujitsu is kind of bullshit to a point. It is bullshit to yeah. a point, right? Yeah. No, no, I'm with you on that. Um, I never will. And on top of it, I think it's a it's a cheap cash out for big guys to say like, mm. like screw you. Like you, you it, to people not give credit to athleticism and size is, is to discredit 
you know, reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's to make an excuse preemptively for themselves not being good. It's like, if I get tapped out, at least I can say, oh, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. Well, usually my plan of attack is I just crawl inside of your gi and I just skitter around like a little hamster. Well, the, I, it's when you start purring gently and it soothes <laughs> me and I, and I get drowsy naturally. <laughs> no, like, I just picture like you saying. curled up in my gi and curling. I think there's a picture like that. I'm sure there is. And if not, we'll, we'll make one. Um, no, like I, what you said on that uh, post by Anderson Silva was a very good way to explain how I felt about Anderson Silva at the peak, right? When he was beating Rich Falinkelin, when he was mm-hmm. when he knocked the socks off Forrest Griffin. Like you were watching it in the same fashion that like you would watch a Mike Tyson fight, yeah. because you you wanted to see how Anderson Silva was gonna mess up this dude. Yeah. Right? He's gonna. Who's gonna win? You're like Anderson Silva's gonna mess this dude up. Yeah, but what? What crazy bonkers shit is he gonna do this time? Like dude, the, that was a the great clip way to put it. Was him? No one ever just put their hands down and leaned against a cage before, right. and he just did it and dodged punches for like two minutes until he got bored and killed. You know, yep. like, none of that makes sense. Um, but you know, people keep coming along and evolving the game of MMA, and that's that was why I got into it initially. Is uh, I, I did capoeira for a while, and I was like, I really wanted to test myself in a combat sport. Um, I had a problem with uh, drinking and and then putting on weight, and had a problem with. Uh, never committing. Like I always wanted to be great, as we talked about earlier, but I never would follow through. I, I felt deep within myself. I always felt short of my potential, and it was a big problem. Um, you know, whenever the going got tough, Mike got the fuck out, and, and that was not okay. Yeah. So what I decided in a really, really sound mental judgment that most people would make, right, was if I lock myself in a cage with another human, I can't not commit to it. Like, right. that's the only the only way to force myself to finally carry through with something and not back down from the final opposition is to be locked in with it. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to be an MMA guy uh, or combat sports. And I went into boxing originally, and I did it down at Pearl Street in Syracuse. Um, uh, and... Uh, it was a real old world gym. You go down in a, a set of stairs in a uh, youth center, and it's literally like it's everything Rocky Three, dank basement, yeah. big picture of Rocky Marciano on the wall, dangling lights that swing like this. <laughs> smells like like an old 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 armpit. Yeah. Um, and I went in and we trained there, and a couple times during sparring, I was just getting outboxed, and it made me want to be a better boxer, but it made me really frustrated. Um, and I went back and, and I was. You know, I was watching MMA at the time. I loved it. And I was like, you know what's cool about this? If someone's a better boxer than you, you can be a better kickboxer than them. If you, if someone's a better kickboxer than you, you can be a better wrestler than them. If you're a better wrestler than them, you can be better jujitsu. You know, and there was so always another page. And you're seeing that in MMA still. Like, you know, you, you now you're seeing this resurgent in Eastern European wrestling, which for a while, you know, Sambo and Judo kind of fell off the, the table for a while. You know, there was... Caro Parisian kind of oddballs that came through, but it was never the dominant base. Now, you know, Eastern European style wrestling more so than American wrestling it, with, with its judos and its trips and its sweeps um, is starting to rise to dominance. And you also are seeing a lot more, uh, a lot less traditional tie, a lot less uh, traditional Western boxing, even with high guards and things right. like that. And you're seeing a tilt towards not quite taekwondo, not quite karate, 
Uh, but a, a little bit of Philly shell style, hands down, a lot of head movement and mobility based stuff. Right. And you watch it bleed back from MMA back into boxing um, and kickboxing. And you see, you know, the old world guys not having as much success against the more modern, you know, you have Lomachenko, who yet he did just lose. But, um, you know, bringing that modern footwork style that uh, that kind of came out to the mainstream through MMA through the, the lighter guys. Right. Um, you know, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Who, who's, who's notorious for switching stances? He's an announcer now. Oh, Dominic uh, Cruz. Cruz, yeah. yeah. And, but then he faced his matchup against Cody Gabron, who was a more in-the-pocket, steady fighter. So that will never cease to be fascinating to me about that MMA. MMA never makes sense. Yeah, it will never break down equally. Like there, you, Someone you'll watch on a tear and be like, wow, he's the best striker in the world, and then someone just picks him up and dumps him on his head. You're like, well, so much for that. Yeah, and then right. someone will be the best striker in one style, and there will be a different style of striking that will give him the win. You know, there's just so many folds. That's what drew me into the love of MMA, and I still that's why I say my heart will always belong there. Like, jiu-jitsu to its own uh, regard has its own microcosm of that kind of evolution. You know, you see footlocks coming back in a big way when we both know – you know, when Ken was tearing through competition, our, our you know, head instructor. Footlocks, um, locks were the shit. That was his jam. And then they yeah. vanished for like 10 years. And now they're coming back in a huge way. And I think that you're going to see those fade back out and you're going to see back takes come back in a big way. Trust me on that. It's a weird thing to say. But you think back takes? Yeah, I think the leg lock game is going to hit a zenith for a little bit. And people are going to start uh, countering that. that and I saw um, a couple techniques... Uh, online, which I'm not a huge guy who follows a lot of it online, but they're out there. Um, you watch where people roll over the side of it. <laughs> Michael, did you watch a YouTube video? No, actually, I watched uh, Rick Miglaris <laughs> on Instagram. He's Legit. a very yeah yeah someone who's who's uh, a legend in the game. I figured Legit, those are good scary, before. and uh, a very nice man. Oh, the Miglaris <laughs> brothers are absolute wonderful humans. I love them to death. Yeah, and I can tell you. Uh, let me parse out a couple fun stories. So for one of my fight camps, I went down to Philadelphia uh, for uh, a little over a month. And it was the hardest month of my life. Uh, the guys down there, this was, again, during their peak MMA days, too. And they were just absolute killers. They had like three or four guys in Bellator, a couple guys in the UFC. Um, and every day I would wake up early, go down to the morning session, train through the morning class, spar afternoon, go back home, grab some quick food, go back out and do it all over again in the afternoon. It was like seven hours of hard training a day. And they were there for me every, every moment of the way. Um, and it was just bonkers level of training. And I'm going to say something. And it, well, this, this story was interesting. Um, you know, I'm not going to say the thing I was going to say for danger of my own life. <laughs> but, um, it's picking which brother I'd rather fight. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm going to leave that out. Um, but I will tell you one of the most amazing things. I, I will remember this forever. I was I was sparring Rick, uh, who for people not familiar, Rick McGlory's looks like he's carved out of stone. Yeah. Um, Dude's made of granite. People mistake that Phil is not because Phil had a very horrific motorcycle accident. Um, you know, a, a couple like a, over a decade ago now, but. Um, he looks more normal at first, but they're all, they're both huge. Like Phil is still six, three two twenty. Like <laughs> they're still both yeah. giant. Huge. Um, 
and I was sparring Rick, the chiseled godlike one. And <laughs> I, the most beautiful slip I've ever landed in my life. I slipped under his jab perfectly and shot in the perfect double leg that I've never shot. And I got right around his waist. And halfway through the air, I was like, I am taking down a fourth degree, I think. No, maybe fifth degree black belt. And before I hit the ground, I was triangled. Like, it was just, <laughs> like I remember having the thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> That's funny. I remember that bike camp because that's when you were uh, you lived in Philly for yeah. You said, I what, li- four weeks. I, I lived um, my first couple weeks. Uh, my housing had not gotten sorted out, and I was living in a crack house basically. Yeah, uh, I remember. That. I had yeah. I had no power. I had no water. I had no heat. Um, I had no clothes. I had no bed. Uh, I had no furniture. Um, so yeah, good times, but I was still training, you know, I was waking up and I was training. I, I literally almost at my breaking point pretty early on. My sister again came to the rescue. She's been there through my whole life. And it was like, take one. Cause I, I, I became sick cause I was, I would get up. I would take the, so where I was staying, you took the red line out of Philadelphia down to Fern Rock and people in Philadelphia know what Fern Rock's like. Um, I got down to Fern Rock at the train graveyard. You walk out of the train graveyard at the end of the red line. And about a block next to where all the trains stay, and that's what I was sleeping in. It was oh. just a, it was a housing complex. Oh Jesus! Yeah, um, I was woken up one morning uh, at about three a.m. or maybe I hadn't gone to sleep yet uh, by the residents next to me going, "You can't be spending all our money on crack. We ain't got no food. We go starve." Oh no! I will forever remember those words. Oh. I remember that sense. And I'm sitting there going, hmm, right. I love fighting. <laughs> like, well, that was, was wild, a great man. opportunity. I mean, you got to train and be with Oh, yeah, some of the, some of the best people. on the planet Earth and some of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the world. And, um, yeah, I, I, there were absolute killers down there, and I was with them every day. I had a lot of uh, black eyes and a lot of busted-up knuckles and noses. And there was a lot of just fighting. Do you um, feel like that was your biggest that. growth in your martial arts career, like the biggest leap that you made? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, it's a hard question. It is. It is. Excellent question, Corey Lawson. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard to say because I, I think I was tested mentally in that camp more than anything I will ever endure. It was mentally um, the hardest. Yes, because again, when I got I got moved out of the, the uh, lower income housing den to the the um the gay the gay central of philadelphia and so i was right next to a gay club nice um and it was i'd be up till again i still had no bed but i did manage to buy myself a tiny fleece blanket at cvs that covered about you and (laughs) so needless to say it wasn't great so it was like a napkin (laughs) yeah pretty much and uh, that's all I had. I had that, and I would sleep on my bag. Uh, eventually, uh, some of the dudes from Philly, like they're like, "Dude, you're sleeping on nothing. Let me give you my air mattress." Again, they're awesome people down there. They would give me an air mattress. They got me set up in this house. Um, it's funny. So I got moved out of the lower income because what I would do, I would show this apartment that I was staying in, as if I was trying to sell it. That's that was my trade off. I would if someone would come in and look at it. I'd clean it all up. And they'd come in and be like, yeah, so this is the apartment. And I, had to try to, I was a de facto real estate agent for the place. I was that was the trade-off. <laughs> and this is the cushion I sleep on. And yeah, this is the, the heat works great. It, well, it didn't, but please don't uh, the space heater works napkin. fine. 
Yeah. Cause I would sleep next to that and I'd be kept up till three in the morning, uh, listening to, uh, techno music, which fun thing. That's actually how I got into listening to, uh, let's plays video games that, that I watched the game drums. I still watch them to this day. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Because uh, they're a video game. Let's play because a a gay well, bar needed, played game grumps? No, I needed something to put in my earphones uh, that could drown it out. And the white noise just wasn't enough. So people talking, I could kind of focus on it. Mm. And and the truth is, uh, the part of I was terribly lonely. I was horrifically lonely. It was very sad. Uh, I went through a bad breakup with my girlfriend at the time while, she, while I was out there. Cool of her. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I was away from everyone I knew and loved. Uh, this was, you know, before this right. kind of stuff was a thing. For a whole, uh, it was an entire month or two months. It was it was closer to two. Um, yeah, it was it was like a, a six week fight camp, right? I, yeah, I was mentally and physically exhausted to a point which I had never been before. I was in a place I had never been before. I had no real um, money, or I mean, I had money that I had saved up, but I had to portion it out because I I didn't have you know stuff to cook in i had no silverware no food no nothing no ingredients i couldn't shop anywhere regular um yeah i actually became friends with the uh gas station attendant down the street or or night you know bodega attendant uh because there was no gas because it was dead in the middle of philly um because i would go in and buy uh sandwiches and um protein drinks from them so i I mean i had no one uh and it was and I like I was like crying at night because it was so fucking hard. Uh, I had never hurt physically like that, and I knew I was facing the biggest challenge of my life, and that panned out poorly. But that you know that's how it goes and in this the, game. The bodega clerk didn't want to come back to your apartment to listen to, <laughs> to, to hang out music yeah. and hang out with you. Yeah, so that so, hurt too. <laughs> yeah, that was that was, it cut me deep. It's cutting deep. Um, <laughs> So I would listen to these, the, the game drums, and it was like people were, I was like, one of my big things, you know, I'm a video game guy. It was like having friends back there to play video games with. So it kind of helped get me through. Right. Weird, right? Um, no, I had no TV. Weird. I think it's just kind of, uh, I think you're in a very, very difficult situation. You're just trying to figure out, okay, how can I make the most of this? And how can I, I don't know. I think that's a reason why podcasts have like taken off because I think people, are generally very lonely and they like to listen to a different conversation with unique people. I think that's, I think that's part of the reason. Oh yeah. Right now that you're a hundred percent right about that. That I I think, I mean, people as, and again, it's a good thing with a question mark um, because the abundance of them, people can filter it out. So it becomes an echo chamber of their own thoughts and validations and, that's a whole step for another yeah, day. That's a whole. That's but, one thing I don't like about the internet. I just think people get lost in these echo echo chambers. Is a good way to put it. Yeah, it, it's it's a way where if they have an opinion, before they used to just be the crazy uncle at a picnic. Now they can go online and immediately find ten thousand other crazy uncles at the picnic. Yeah. And now they're they're a force, you know. Yeah. And 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 instead of having contrasting thoughts and having other people to have a discussion with they all just go yeah we're all right right yeah we're right yeah we're all right okay let's go be right let's go tell everyone how fucking right we are that, yeah that's so true it's exactly yeah. how it is too it's kind of it's just interesting i don't know it's it's very unprecedented because it's never nothing like this has happened in in history ever it was interesting talking to my dad because my dad like saw the rise of the internet and it was yeah. this was like this whole thing was just nothing that he could he could really predict he was like the internet was cool i didn't have to have five floppy disks around to install a driver. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, much like MMA. Um, I, I think that you're, you're seeing a pullback, hopefully in a good way. Uh, you're seeing a pullback from social media. You're seeing a pushback against influencer culture and things like that. I think, and I think that's good. Influencer um, culture is a, is a weird one, huh? Yeah, yeah, because the, the thing with it is, and I've met influencers. I know you know people online personally. Even in, even in in the jujitsu community, it's very prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to put out this image of wild success that's not true, and they go through a lot of personal uh sacrifice both you know mental physical and friendship relationship wise in order to portray an image to people they've never met to hope to impress people they've never met and it's it's a weird thing um like i know people that are i knew fighters that were the same way you know that that you'd look at their instagram and be like wow dude it's people uh, ask me that all all the fucking time back in my head like wow so you're on tv man you're making all that money i'm like no (laughs) <laughs> like, like i barely broke even on the fight and i won you know yeah. um hunting for sponsors used to be i would go door to door like i used to go around and call businesses and ask really? <laughs> yeah it was, it was full on that level um wow what was like what was there ever a time where you felt like you got the big break was it was it finally signing with bellator you were like shit this this is like I will say this. I never had any idea I could take off nearly as much as I did. Um, but I will also say that getting close to the top, I mean, at one point I was ranked in the top 50 on the planet. I'm very proud of that. Um, I fought, I, I, and my only defeat in my weight class was to the guy that then went on to win the title and defend it multiple times, you know, and, and is what it is. Uh, you know, one punch, one inch different, and, and maybe I hold a belt. But you find out being up there how thin the margin is between someone that goes home with a million dollars and someone that goes home with five grand to make last for the next three months, you know? Yeah. It's that's it's just one thing that confuses me is the pay structure in MMA, especially, especially UFC. Well, the UFC, I, I can tell you, they, they have a vested interest in the UFC and nothing else. Like that's, they went out yeah. of their way to promote the brand, the UFC. Yeah. They, there used to be a time again, think of peak Anderson Silva. And what do you think of? You think of those Anderson Silva tights, you think of the, you know, the yellow bumblebee ones, mm-hmm. uh, you think of his Valley Tudo shorts. I think of Burger um, King actually. Yeah. There's another one. <laughs> it, you, you, you think of, uh, you know, Tito Ortiz's bad boys. You think of the uh, Iceman Liddell's Muay Thai with the icicles. You, and there I used think to be of the weird thing. condom depot. Like, what is that doing on their shorts? Well, you would. Is that a website? Again, <laughs> these people would. Who needs bulk condoms? Why do you uh, need a whole <laughs> depot of condoms? That is a very large depot. That place has to smell terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but. It, 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 you, they there used to be identities, you know, during yeah. peak MMA, mm. it, and and they've done a very good job of erasing that. And fighters now are only they've trained MMA fans are the are some of the casual ish MMA fans. Let me let me preface this: MMA fans who don't do any training are the worst fans on the planet Earth. 
I'm, I'm fucking not joking. I can't. So like, I met some good I ones. Be, I met some good ones that don't train. That's they're that pretty cool to talk to about fights. I'm sure that they're cool people, but I'm sure that they also are terrible fans. Like again, here's <laughs> the thing. Like, there's no, there's no ride or die fighter fans anymore. Like, and I can tell you, and maybe I'm jaded because listen, dude, I used to be on the MMA underground. I used to be on the Share Dog forums again because I came up through the infancy and the proliferation of MMA. Um, you know, I used to be on the forums typing in, how do you can't wait for a fight? What should I do for a fight camp? And looking on forums to figure this shit out. Like, yeah. you know, um, and when I got a couple good, you know, bri- big breaks up to Bellator and all that and getting on TV, you know, they all gather around one of us, one of us. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. And it was awesome. They're like, oh, I love you, man. You're the best. And then I lost to, or actually, no, then I had that eye poke with uh, Jeff Nader. And I got hate mail for the first time in my life. So oh, that's fun. Um, I don't that know if you wild hit- too. It's like, how do you, you're new to MMA. Well, not really new, but you're new to the lights. And then all of a sudden it's like, then people hate you. Like that would be, well, dude, know, what a I, very hard thing to, to learn how to it, cope with, I guess. It, yeah, no, it sucked. I, I was not good at coping with it. I got very depressed and very hurt and very sad. Cause I, I know this might come to a surprise to many people, but you you are the type of person who likes to be loved and liked by people. So even though you I do, might have, I a, have even though you very might have a sandpapery outside, I know you're a little well, soft, little mellow inside. You got well, thank you. I I, I do. I, look, man, I'll talk about it. Like I I have uh, depression issues and departure issues and all this stuff, and I I do. I put a lot of faith in my friendships, and I put a lot of weight and value into relationships that i that i form with people and i mistook fandom uh with these people for friendship you know these people watched me come up and when i won my fight against um you know my first fight in bellator against van buren as the underdog he he was being bred to be the world champ i tap him out um you know i i went from nobody in the world to getting i got unsolicited nudes i got fan requests from women i got compliments on the internet i got direct messages i got a thousand followers in a day i got, got emails people asking you for feet pics yeah dude it, i had uh this peruvian <laughs> model asking about like like it was wild yeah from someone that you know two days ago i was in a call center the week before that like yeah, that's right. literally i was working at a pet recovery tag place yeah that's a couple months ever, prior to that yeah you don't ever like you don't hear that that side like the new a newcomer and MMA all of a sudden gets his big break wins in Bellator boom overnight star yeah it was it was super weird and even going into Bellator was weird I was meant to be uh so we went through the tryouts I went to two tryouts and they kept me on their lists and I got the call on short notice from um uh my manager at the time who's passed away unfortunately um and he uh you know, I was like, look, I think you should take this. I, I'm like, can you, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. Can you make it worth it? He's like, okay, they doubled their offer. Take this. I was like, cool. And so I had a th- like a two week notice and I was going up against Van Buren. Um, and I trained real hard with Tamden and I trained, uh, with Dennis and everyone I could get my hands on a, a ton of sparring, 12 rounds sessions, two times a day, minimum, like balls to the wall. Um, fun story that's how i ruptured my eardrum tamden hit me with a hook and i haven't been able to hear quite right out of one of my ears ever since and occasionally <laughs> so Damn. um 
So in that fight, I couldn't hear out of one ear, but that's a different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wild, right? Yeah. And, and so I went from that, and I was on the undercard, and then someone on the main card got bumped, and I got to the main card all of a sudden. So I went from not doing anything to being in the second biggest league in the world to being on the televised portion of the second biggest league in the world. And I found that out because my cousin texted me, like, guess you're big time now. I'm like, fuck are you talking about? And he sends was, me an article, Musatelli Van Buren bumped to main card after this part fight drops out. Was that the that wasn't the fight that there was a fight that happened where you got pushed to be the last one, even at the main event? No, no, no. That was that was later that was later okay. on in your career. That yeah. was the one that we went to, I think, in Maine, if I remember. Yeah, that was uh it was Maine or Connecticut. It was one of those. When Spearwolf got kicked in the nuts. Oh yeah, <laughs> Eric, Eric, Mike, like, and I—we always refer to it as the time that Spirit Wolf took a 15-minute break. <laughs> he did. He got kicked right in the dick. <laughs> but yeah, so I went through this whole thing where all of a sudden I was getting adulation and congratulations and friend requests and Facebook messages and uh, you know all this stuff. Um. And then I was coming up, and I was still on the forums. I was like, hey, guys, how's it going? They're like, oh, my God, you're the bestest ever. I love you. I can't believe one of us are the – And then I had this eye poke that went to DQ. And they're like, you fucking piece of shit. You cheating <laughs> bitch. Why don't you fucking die? You fucking garbage. I knew you were never that good. It's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right. What are... And, yeah, I took it right to fucking heart and got really fucking depressed for well, a very also, long time. Like, now, I th- man, if that would happen to somebody – I feel as if somebody would take you aside and be like, "Hey, look, you're, you're gonna, you might get some hate mail. You might listen, push that shit aside, dude." But that's like well, still in its. This it's, is weird. Is I was listening to an interview with um, uh, Michelle Watterson, uh, and she was talking about her sports psychologist, which is a thing now. Like fighters, a lot of them have psychologists, and that's a trip to me. Because <laughs> like that was never. It makes a lot of sense. I, yeah. I I I don't I don't think psychology would ever work for me. Um, uh, um again through a lot of, I I talk very openly about having depression issues and having you know gone through alcohol issues and all that because, whatever maybe someone else can find it useful. But I, I won't you know proselytize with it or whatever proselytize. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know that. But if people ask me about it, I'll talk about it. Yeah, right. Um, but it makes a lot of sense because it it's. It's, a, it's such a bizarre world that you have to live in, um, mm-hmm. and you are going to receive such negative feedback and lashback. I mean, you look at it online. Any fighter that's worth his salt, people go 25-0, and 0, win a world title, and then lose once and get made into a highlight reel for them. Look at Ben Askren. Mm-hmm. People call him garbage. Like In his peak, Ben Askren was yeah. fucking incredible. He retired for several years, didn't compete at all, and then jumped right into the murderer's row of the UFC. Right. And people want to be like, oh, he's trash. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, he was incredible. And, and, and that shit goes around. Um, ben Askren, because me and Ben Askren have one thing really in common, and he tweeted it. And I was like, oof, big oof, right, right in the feels. Um, he was like, imagine having the worst moment of your life replayed every day right like on some somewhere right and there was a long time i couldn't watch tv because spike tv would show an ad of me getting fucking caught with a left hook and going down right i remember when that happened months after you telling me that and that was a moment where i was like 
holy shit, I can't imagine like watching yeah, I mean, over and over. And like, still, like anytime Liam would fight, is still that's still a high. Oh yeah, you know, like, time, like, that yeah. Has, like how do you cope with that shit? You know what I mean? Poorly, right. if you're me. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, right. I mean, look, I, I, I am. I, Again, I'm proud of the fact that I bounced back. And this is, again, a bit of the sticking point I have with how my career went. And there's a lot of X factors in it. Um, and it's, 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 the, it's the parts of MMA that people don't know about. And I think that's kind of been, a, I guess, a heavy talking point in this whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I bounced right back. I was like, I got to get back in the cage, if nothing else, to distract myself. And I got right back in, and that was another submission win against Mark Griffin. That was the one that was bumped to the after card. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And again, I went in 35 seconds. Cool. Awesome. Yep. And I'm waiting. What's my next assignment? And during my tenure with Bellator, Bjorn Rebney resigned and, uh, the guy from strike force took over. And in that exchange, they went through and cut 90% of the roster. Wow. I didn't cut, get cut right away. I was still on there, but they didn't have a next fight lined up for me. And my manager at the time, um, he, you know, was like, you got to stay busy. You know, in this game, you get such a short window. And I took fights I should have said no to. I took heavyweight fights. I'm not a heavyweight. I'm a small 205er. I lose a pair of those, one by a boring decision, one again by getting caught with a crazy overhand from a guy that's got 25 heavyweight knockouts, which why would I sign up for that fight? That's fucking stupid, Mike, right. in retrospect. Now you just but, wanted, it's like you said, you want to stay busy. Oh, you want to stay busy, you want to stay active, you want to stay fresh on people's mind, and, and you don't want to miss your window, you know? And it was for a great league, and it was great uh, exposure, um, but they were stupid fights I should have said no to. I 100% should never taken them. Um, and after my second loss, I sat there in the crowd, depressed as fuck, and said, I should, I'm should. i never fighting heavyweight again. And the problem is, is no one wanted to fight me at light heavyweight because I kicked everyone's ass there. So I couldn't get a fight at all, and... I stalled out for however many years it's been since I fought last. <laughs> right. Right. Did you, have you ever thought about going? Oh yeah. Going I had one time where I was supposed to sign, I was supposed to fight Matt, uh, Hamill. That's right. Um, yeah, I and I actually I ended up getting, I mean, this is the first time I ever backed out with an injury because the reality is I, I have horrific back injuries. I've had knee surgeries. I have fought injured more times than I fought healthy by a wide margin. And I'm just not going to take a third loss because I went out there not at 100%, especially against someone that if I take a win, it's a legend of the game, and I wanted to get it rescheduled, but I guess the promoter got it got real stuck in his craw, and he was really pissed off, and whatever. Yeah, I mean, what do you want to do? That's a, but, well, that's the, that's the unfortunate, like, that's the dark side of it, of how much of a mental game it all is, right? Well, like we were talking about, like, I will never get over that knockout. I never will. Yeah. You know, on my deathbed, it'll be a painful spot to think about. Thinking about it still makes me have to fight back. A lot of inner demons of depression, and I want to cry. And I like I, I was never more deflated because I had went through what we talked about. The, the hardest fight camp of my life. I did everything right. Right. I, I went to the best in the world. I trained under the best in the world. I trained harder than anyone else. I know there was no way. He could have trained harder than me going into that fight. I was at peak physical condition, and that is the thing about the fight game. It doesn't fucking matter sometimes. Yeah. And then to have that happen, have all the people that said you were great turn their back on you, um, and and to be just kind of left in the dark with only your, you know, for me it was a massive awakening of who my 
closest people were. You know, when I was in the backstage, I was I was sitting there with my head in my hands. I mean, what are you going to do? And it was just right. Dennis and Chris, and that's it. And like just alone. Right. And you could hear the cheers, and you can hear the the TV interviews in the other room. Yeah, right. And and you're just sitting. It was straight out of a movie, like just dark locker room, just me. And you have to. How do you pick yourself back off the floor? How do you tell a fighter to do that? You know, this was your one big shot, and you missed. Um, but it. But you know, maybe you'll get another one. Maybe. And I never did. You know, (laughs) it's it's the weird thing about MMA and I would imagine boxing or really any combat sport where it's exactly like you said, you did, you did everything right. You were in the best shape of your life. And, you know, Cowboy Cerrone always says, I, I just wasn't there that night. You have one night like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, well, the fucker of it all is I thought I was there that night. I felt there. I landed a few good jabs. I landed the most beautiful double leg prior to Phil Mig- or Rick McLeary's um, that I've ever landed. I took him right down. And the funny thing is I took him down so hard. I expected resistance. He just wilted and I actually got rolled through and I took him down and it rolled over and I ended up in bottom mount. I shrimp out. I immediately got guard. I'm like, perfect. My wheelhouse guard, baby. And his corner yells, get up and he immediately stood up and disengaged and i was like but you're a jujitsu guy come here and do the thing come here and do the thing. <laughs> come back and he didn't and i went back in and i got caught with a check left hook and what are you gonna do he, he literally i've watched it a million times and there's his eyes were closed i was hitting him with the jab my hand was up but it got it was just a little low or a little high it's it's a one inch difference and and then that was it right so now that <laughs> Like, your focus clearly is not fighting anymore, right? Like, that's not an objective for you? That's not a goal for you anymore? I would love to have one or two more. I still do. Oh, this is this is the thing is as you get older, and now you see hey, all these guys. Yeah, 36. Hey. Hey, man. I love you very much, and but you're 36 years old. I know. I would love <laughs> to do it. But again, it, I don't think I will. Um, I would love to. But again, it, it, it would have to be a fight that I choose, and it would have to be right, and it would... It'd have to be smart, and then life really doesn't make a ton of room for it. Right. But if, you know, tomorrow Bellator calls me up, be like, dude, I'll put you on the main card, show up, I'm fucking there. Yeah, and there's right. no amount of you telling me. But this is the, this is the other thing, too. Um, and I think it's what one of the things that separate people, again, from that, that, that want to be a spotlight thing is like, I have to cold turkey it, or else I'm like, yeah, I think we could. It's, and Mike Tyson oh, talks yeah, about it a lot more. lately. Oh, I can do one but, more. Yeah, well, you hear about Tyson talking about it lately where, where he starts hitting things and he feels good and he feels eager. And now he's doing one more. And now a lot of people, including me, are sitting on the sideline going, Jesus, it's sad. It's sad, man. You shouldn't be doing this. It's sad. You're old. But a big part of me knows that that never dies. That never goes away. You know, uh, there's a movie that not a lot of people have seen. And I really recommend you watch it and everybody that ever fights watches it. It was an HBO movie, direct to HBO, uh, called Only in America. It's the Don King story. Um, amazing movie. And he does, there's a bit, not a bit, there's a scene where they talk about uh, Muhammad Ali towards the end of his career. And when everyone wanted him to sit down, he was clearly starting to suffer from Parkinson's. And um, he's sitting in the hospital and he's shaking and his opponent went in and said, I'm sorry, you've got to retire. Don't do this. I don't. I didn't want to do this to you. I'm so sorry. And he says back to him, like, oh, 
you got to get away from Don King. He's going to take everything you have. And then Don King steps in because he's the narrator of his own movie in this. It's not real Don King. It's uh, Ving Rhames playing Don, Ring, yeah, Don King. And he says, you motherfuckers. Like, how are you going to make this shit so dramatic? You know what? Muhammad Ali was the greatest of all time, the greatest man to ever put on a pair of gloves. How are you going to go into Muhammad Ali's room and tell him he can't fight no more? How are you going to tell God he can't make lightning like he used to? And that line alone, how are you going to make God, how are you going to tell God he can't make lightning like he used to? And that's what, like, elite fighters train themselves to believe in that ring they are invulnerable deities, basically. Like, they are indestructible. Because the moment you think about losing, bang, you're asleep. Yeah. So in the moment you think of yourself as an, an unstoppable force, how do you reconcile that mentality that you drilled into your mind so hard with getting older with the reality of moral decay? Like moral decay? Yeah. You know, how do you quench that, that desire to compete, that, that thought that you can be amazing? Well, I feel like a lot of people... A lot of fighters quench that thirst by training new fighters and coaching new fighters. Is that does that kind of help you quench the thirst, so to speak? It it does to an extent. Like when I was really active fighting, um, I remember thinking like you know they'd offer me you know do you want to cover a class? Like I really don't. I want to train a class. I wanted to always be training and not teaching. And what I have teaching now, I do I I, I do see satisfaction in watching my students improve i really do like there's an inner satisfaction i get uh watching someone get better and they throw it to correctly and bam the bag pops and like oh i made them do that and that feels cool and and i love it um but on the flip side well not so much on the flip side but somewhere in between um as you teach you discover more techniques yourself you you realize you have to break down techniques uh maybe in a more biomechanical way where you have to learn why you do something you know, you've just been doing something as a fighter so long, you just do it. Mm-hmm. But then when you got to teach someone it, you got to learn why you're doing it and the mechanics behind you do it. So you get this deeper meaning of it. And then you feel yourself growing in skill again. And you're growing in knowledge again. And now you want to fight again because you're getting better. You know, it's weird, man. It's There's no amount of quenching that will ever put out the fire. Like I, I know um, it's this constant inner battle between logic and knowledge and self-awareness and raging uh desire <laughs> you know yeah, i would imagine especially like you said you feel you felt so alive oh there's there's nothing that can ever compete come ever come close you know I, I i i climbed mountains in peru i caught piranhas in the amazon i've hung out with tigers in thailand i got a a, a sakyan tattoo from a buddhist monk in thailand i i've done wild shit in my life uh and None of it even scratches close to the, your hand being raised in a cage, under the lights, on TV, in front of thousands upon thousands of people. There's nothing, and there's nothing, you know, it's to, to forever reconcile the reality that you're never going to get back the greatest feeling of your life, or, or, or finding another avenue to get that feeling it's hard. It's not easy. It sucks. It sucks a lot. And, and you know, there's, you have bad days at work. You have bad days at work. Everybody has bad days at work. Um, and you just sit there sometimes. The yeah. difference between your career yeah. kind of going a different direction. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's the thing. A bad day in the cage forever changes your life. Uh, a bad day at work sucks. 
And, and on top of it, though, like I'll go home and, and, and you're sitting there and you're trying to reconcile. Well, some fucking fat 74 year old Karen just bitches at you and demands free things and shouts at the top of their lungs. And you're like, I used to kill people for money. Like, <laughs> how did I go from signing autographs in front of hundreds of thousands of people to having to sit here and beg for this bitch's money? Like, yeah. it's, it's not like daily life is a really, it's tough. It's tough to find how to do it, man. Um, and it's something that I'm still doing like every day. You still got to find, you got to find your reason to get up and you got to find what, you know, and I found things that make me happy. And I found back to our early conversation, like there are, there's nothing wrong with some complacency, some very big points, some always be improving in some aspect, but find something that you're also happy having. And, and I have a wonderful fiance. I've got a cool dog. I got an Xbox and a big screen. And, and like I said, a lot of those fans, a lot of those forums, people's, the followers, whatever it is, you know, they weren't my real friends. They turned their back the moment the thing was. And, and through these crazy trials, um, I've really whittled down to people that I consider close friends, like you, Corey. Um, people that, that, that are good people that aren't just fans. And finding that that, you know, as corny and as fucking TV specially as it sounds, finding the, 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 the value of that shit, of not caring about, like, I don't care about how many followers or friends that I have because that's another version of me as a fighter, you know? that's everyone gets a little bit of taste of that through influencer culture. Um, but I don't care about them because I had them and I found out how hollow they can be. And now I can't chase that anymore. I'm getting older. I got a regular job. It's a good job. I got, you know, a business to run and I got to find value elsewhere in my life and, and putting it on the people that have stuck with me through all this shit is one of the big ones you know now my friends are more dear to me than ever <laughs> you know what's interesting about this whole this whole like series of events is people usually don't find their value right like when you have a conversation with somebody people are always saying i don't know what i want to do with my life i don't know what my purpose is i don't know what i really enjoy doing in life right and there's a lot of that yeah <laughs> right and i i rarely hear the opposite in the in the sense that you really enjoyed fighting and if it if it was still in the cards it would still be your yeah. life oh 100 percent. still I, be I your thing it's well it, it, being a fighter is a weird thing when you know it's truly your passion and something you love and it is it's something that i love you know second only to like my fiance and dog <laughs> and family um you know but like it's uh it's something i love with every ounce of me and to have it kind of taken away just fucking hurts, man. Like, it really does. Um, and you have to find other ways to taste it. And that's what coaching and training it does, you know. Um, it, it gives you a way to kind of drip feed it while still finding your other value. You know what I mean? It's it's weird. Life's weird. I lead a weird life. No, I'm a weird it's guy. Strange it's, <laughs> like I said, it's always the flip. It's never... I mean, there, those stories are out there, right? Like a like a painter 
becomes blind and can no longer do the thing he loves anymore. But this yeah. is, is a little bit different in the sense that it's, I don't know, you could, I guess you well, could still taste it. You know what I mean? You could still like. Yeah. Like I can still train it. Like you can still go to jujitsu and I still yeah. have, you know, I've gone to jujitsu competitions and it's great and it's fun. And it ain't the same thing as a fight. Mm-hmm. Like I will never get, I, I never get fired up for a jujitsu. Like people get amped about their jujitsu competitions. I'm like, y'all don't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this well, this rabbit just, hole runs deep as fuck. Yeah, like, <laughs> you saw it on the whole other spectrum, and those other people that do the jujitsu match, like at a like a Naga competition or something. That's for them. That yeah. would be the most attention that's been on them. In Which again, God bless. Like great yeah, yeah. for. I, I'm very pro competition. I never want to push anyone into it that doesn't feel like they want to. But I say this sincerely from the bottom of my heart. If everyone in the world could have one MMA and fight in their life, every, it, the world would be a better place because you the, the level of intensity and the level of adrenaline and everything and, and the, the stages of mood that you go through, through it all are like nothing in this world. Um, yeah. Yeah. The and so to even dump, my first, I still remember my first fight after the first round the adrenaline dump that I had. Like, everybody, you <laughs> you specifically warned me about it. You're like, listen, you're going to get an adrenaline dump, and the best thing you do is just kind of, like, cope with it, right? You just got to deal yeah. with it. And you I can't pretend it's the, not there. Yeah, right. <laughs> pretend it's not there. In the end of the first round, I go into my corner. Mike gives me water. Dennis like, how you feeling? And, I, and all I kept saying, my mouth's dry. My mouth is dry. <laughs> <laughs> I have cotton mouth, Dennis. I can't I can't, I can't. I can't. I can't. I remember very distinctly my first sanctioned amateur MMA fight was my first time ever stepping in the cage. We didn't have a cage to train in. So I'd never been in a cage before. I get in this cage. I hear the door shut and I go, oh, fuck, I'm going to lose because I couldn't feel my legs. Like my legs just went numb. They wouldn't yeah. move. I was like, do something. Do something, legs. Yeah. <laughs> Come to life. Yeah. Um, it's it's and I think like a lot of I ended up winning cool but uh, uh i think a lot of people would benefit from going through that level of stress and exhaustion and even if it is an amateur fight even if it is a naga even if it is whatever you know uh you should go through that to feel that rush you felt that rush you know what that feels like that high and then to dial it up to pro fighter levels you know that's a couple more notches and then to big league guys you know i can't imagine like tamden had uh, tamden gave me some some super advice early on and that's kind of what i passed on to you in that fight talking about the adrenaline dump um i don't know if he even remembers the conversation i, I kind of reminded it during him during my black belt test when me and him tested together and uh, i had a, a lanky gi and i was like i asked him i was like can i get one for tamden and i wanted it and i gave it to him and i said tamden you know you don't recognize it me and him don't always see eye to eye on stuff and that's fine but I said, you know, you might not realize it, but he was in the UFC at the time, and I was having my second or third amateur fight. And I was backstage, and I asked him, I'm like, dude, how do you cope with this feeling? I'm terrified. Like, I'm terrified. I want to vomit. I want to cry. I want to scream. I'm also more amped than I've ever been. I think I can run through the wall as long as the wall is away from the cage. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and he's like, don't hide from that. Like, if you weren't nervous, you'd be dumb. Um, that's your body preparing itself for battle. Your body is recognizing that what it's going into is a intense physical thing and it has to be dialed up to 11 and adrenaline is your body's way of doing that naturally. So welcome that feeling. It's a good thing. It means you're ready. I was like, cool. And then I went in and won a bunch. So right. must've worked. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's an interesting perspective. That's a, that's another person I want to talk to. I feel like that'd be a really funny podcast. 
like just the, <laughs> like conspiracy theories aside and but like yeah is because he's had a interesting career too so I, yes i would feel he left the ufc he came back to bellator when i was in bellator um and then he went up back to the ufc and you know there's a there's, it's yeah he had a lot you know weird now yeah, a successful coach same as you yeah like these people i don't know all these people have really really cool unique stories like i don't i don't i've, I've said to spooches before i've never met anybody like you who's had the career has the ride has had this like really cool cool adventure i mean minus the yeah, ups and no. downs i mean it's still a pretty spectacular story well, you know i try and be grown up about it and say i wouldn't trade it for anything i wouldn't change anything because the ups and downs downs included made me who i am and it you know that loss yeah it sucked ass but i didn't die i didn't i didn't you know it made me kind of realize that i still get you know bad waves of depression but i think that really was a turning point the fact that i was able to come out of that proved that i was i was mentally strong and that it was almost even in a loss was kind of the culmination of what i talked about earlier about why i got into fighting like it was it was it was a big part like i got into fighting because I wanted to make myself see something through when the challenge was as hard as it gets. And, you know, I won a lot of fights and a lot of them felt really easy to win (laughs) and losing and then having to come back and pick myself up and say, I'm not done yet. I think even if it was just to win one more in Bellator, um, really was a a bit of a, a culmination for me knowing that I have now, evolved i'm that shadow of who i was isn't isn't who i am and and i think it was a big thing for me um sucks that it had to happen at the end of a left hook on the way to a belt and a hundred thousand dollars but (laughs) (laughs) take the positives i guess no that's a it's a very unique story and perspective i i appreciate being very transparent about about the whole thing it's just i think this will help a lot of cool people learn learn some cool shit about you for one and for two show uh you get to show everybody else the exact same reasons why i like you so much mike Aww. heart hearts now before this ends i made a promise to somebody <laughs> oh, so okay. um while i have you recorded <coughs> recorded mm. and this is going out in the air can you just say one nice thing about bernie God, jesus christ <laughs> <sighs> i love bernie i love bernie with all my heart he's a wonderful brother who is endlessly supportive of all of my endeavors i want to stab him in the face constantly and the only reason i do is because i think bernie's a wonderful person i think bernie's very smart and i had a weird heart to heart with bernie um not to take your joke not to take the fun time and make it serious but uh bernie is way more athletic and powerful than he gives himself credit for you felt him he's strong as shit and uh, if he just really got to it, he could do like really cool things with both his physicality and or be it jujitsu or uh, you know whatever. And he just you know I see so much potential in him all the time because he's he I, he saw potential in me, and it's 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 that I love my brother dearly, but seriously, Bernie, I, if you just stop being a Bernie for a little bit, like, <laughs> and that's. That's exactly how we're going to end the podcast. We're going to end it right before there. That in The last line that you said, that's where I'm going to stop the audio, and that's how it's going to end. Perfect closing notes. So, uh, Bernie, don't say I don't ever do anything nice for you. <laughs>
I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Corey Cast. The love and support since I started this podcast has been nothing but incredible. Make sure you follow, rate, review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me. And if you share anything from the podcast, just use the hashtag CoreyCast. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate you guys. Love you all very much. Bye.